2 Kings chapter number 6. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt you're unable to handle it? Um, Maybe uh, something happened that brought you a sense of despair or grief? Though not to the scale of those in our text this morning, the events of this past year have left many people feeling fearful, anxious, and confused. In our text this morning, we find the inhabitants of the city of Samaria in a hopeless and helpless situation. We'll begin reading in verse number 24. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab, a cab of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. The inhabitants of the city of Samaria were, were in a hopeless and a helpless situation. But there is wonderful news for those who face such a situation. You see, no matter what happens in your life with God, there's always hope. No matter how broken your life is, God is there to pick up the pieces. No matter how far your life seems to spiral out of control, God is there to bring you safely to the ground. And no matter how far you have drifted from God, He is waiting for you to return. In dramatic fashion, chapter 7 brings the good news of God's great deliverance and how it must be proclaimed to the masses. And that's the title of the message this morning is God's Great Deliverance. Let's, let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to meet together and assemble here this morning in fellowship around your word. I pray you would open our hearts to the truth, uh, give us a clarity of mind, of thought. I pray that you would just uh, use the word of God this morning to to teach us uh, what you'd have to say to us individually this morning and, and as a church, as Calvary Baptist Church. Help us to set aside the cares of this life aside for these next few moments. And I pray, Father, that if there is anyone here who has never trusted you as their Savior, that you would uh, convict them of their need and that in your timing that they would be saved and born again. And for those who are saved, I pray that we would have a heart attitude like the psalmist who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that you would, uh, if there's anything that's not right in our life, that uh, you would reveal that to us so that we may repent of that and get right with you before we leave here this morning. And it's all, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So by way of background, the, the people of Samaria had forsaken God for nearly 90 years since Jeroboam had broken away uh, Jeroboam led the ten tribes of Israel and, and broken away from the southern tribe of, of Judah. Now, although God sent prophets over the years, the northern kingdom, the people in the northern kingdom just rejected God time and time again. 
<clears throat> and as a result, they sunk into the depths of depravity and corruption. You see, for those who reject God, they argue that there is no one to be accountable to, and therefore there's no sin and, and no reason to be saved. Many people believe that, that God will not judge sin. Uh, they have a perverted view of God, and, and in both cases, uh, in their opinion, there's, since there's no judgment in the future that they have to face, that means in this life they can live, really, they can live as they want. Uh, how they want, do what they want, when they want. And consequently, when a crisis beyond their control arises in their lives, since they have no hope and no help beyond this world, a spirit of fear, a spirit of helplessness and hopelessness grips their heart and life. In verse 24 of our text, we read, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. You see, Syria had once again invaded the northern kingdom and set up a, a siege around the city of Samaria, the capital city. The, no longer was the king of Syria interested in just invading the, the border towns of Israel. This time he wanted to capture the northern kingdom. Would God allow that to happen? Would, especially after they rejected him time and time again? For nearly 90 years, or though undeserved, uh, would God show mercy and give those people in the northern kingdom a second chance, another opportunity to repent and believe? But we'll, we'll see as we progress this morning. In verse 25, we read, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it uh, until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. This siege was so effective that the food supplies dried up completely. The famine was so severe that all kinds of repulsive and nauseating items were being sold at astronomical prices. And furthermore, the worst atrocity and depravity imaginable resulted, that of murder and cannibalism. We won't read those verses, but you'll see that in the remaining verses of chapter number 6. The effect of their spiritual and physical state left the residents hopeless and helpless. And no doubt it left many wondering, well, where is God in all of this? Why, why is he allowing this to happen? Does he even care? Now, while the recent events in our country is nowhere close to what the Israelites experienced, we still get a glimpse of the fear and helplessness and helplessness of many people when a crisis beyond their control arises. Like the Israelites, many in our country have been asking, why is God allowing this to happen? Does he even care? Well, God's answer to both the Israelites then and to us today is found in chapter number 7 of 2 Kings. In dramatic fashion, it shows the goodness of God's deliverance and how it must be proclaimed to the nations. And so first of all, as we go into chapter number 7, we first see deliverance disclosed. Deliverance disclosed. Verse 1, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, 
Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. See, Elisha proclaims the good news of God's deliverance. God promises relief in 24 hours. Food would not only be available again, but it would be so abundant that the inflationary prices would fall drastically, bringing great relief to the city. Now, friends, no matter how helpless you may feel or hopeless a situation you may, you, you, that you're in may seem, God has a message of hope and God has a message of deliverance for you. Just as the Israel was facing a desperate situation, so sometimes desperation stares us in the face. It may be financial uncertainty, crippling debt, maybe a divorce, maybe an unfavorable health diagnosis, maybe depression, maybe a loss of a job, a, a death of a loved one, a broken relationship, maybe a disability, an accident, or some other trouble causing worry and doubt. But with God, there's always hope. Amen? Keep your a marker here in chapter number 7. We will be coming back to this regularly, but page to uh, Psalm chapter, or Psalm 116. Look in Psalm 116. Again, keep a marker here. We'll, we'll be back. Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And we read in verse number 16, I mean, sorry, in verse 6, Psalm 116, verse 6, says, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. The word preserveth here, it, it means to, to watch over. It means to guard. It, it means to protect. So who is God protecting in this? Who is God watching over in verse 6? It says, he preserveth the simple. Now, the simple does not refer to an unintelligent or ignorant person. It's referring to believers who have a simple childlike faith in their heavenly father. The psalmist then goes on to testify uh, or goes on to give a personal testimony to this truth. He says, I was brought low and he helped me. You see, the word low means to be uh, to be made weak, to be made feeble, to be destitute. The psalmist uh, was in a dire situation. We can read verse uh, verse 3, and he talks about the dire situation he was in. He says, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. He goes on in verse 6 to give to testify of that truth in verse 6, that Jehovah does watch over and protect those who believe him by stating those words at the end of verse 6, and he helped me. And he helped me. You see, the psalmist declares that Jehovah helped him, meaning that God came to his defense. He rescued him, he delivered him, and gave him the victory. It's been so aptly said, that sometimes God calms the storms in our life 
And yet sometimes he calms us in the storm. As great as God's promised deliverance to those in Samaria was, there is a much greater deliverance that God promised. And that is through the gospel. You can be delivered from the penalty and the power of sin, an eternal death in hell, and come into a right relationship with Him. And if there is someone here this morning who is not saved, who's never had a time and a place in their life where they turn from their sin in repentance and, and turn to Christ in faith and received Him as a Savior, then, my, my friend, this deliverance from sin is more important than any situation you may be facing today. Well, back in 2 Kings chapter number 7, we not only see deliverance disclosed, but secondly, we see deliverance dismissed. In verse number 2, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he, that's Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. In response to the king's, uh, to, to this good news, the king's official blurted out his unbelief, saying sarcastically, Oh, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He doubted that this could happen. And Elisha turned to him and prophesied that he would see this promise fulfilled, but would not taste one mouthful. By ridiculing Elisha's message of hope and deliverance, he was rejecting God's word. And friend, God has, God has given his word on the way to be delivered. And if you reject God's word, then, then there's no other hope. God, God has no other plan B. Now, what, what kind of faith does God require of us? Does, does he tell us um, just to believe anything or the words of another man? No. He tells us to believe his word. He has a flawless record of faithfulness. Not one word of God has ever failed. Maybe this morning there's some here who are maybe struggling with their salvation or, or in their midst of a deep trial and, and the evil one may be tempting you to reject God's word by, by whispering in your ear. Oh, you see, God's promises may work for others, but, but for you they do not work. Friend, that is a lie straight out of the pit of hell and must be rejected immediately. In 1 Kings 8.56, don't need to turn there, we read, There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Joshua wrote in Joshua 21, verse 45, There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the hand of Israel, unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. You see, some of God's promises come quickly, while others... Um, well, they stretch over long periods of time. But one thing we know is God's word will never fail. And whether good or bad, all will come to pass. Look in Isaiah chapter number 46. Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46 and verse number 9. We read, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. 
I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. If you find yourself having thoughts of, well, God's promises work for, uh, for some and work for others, but they don't work for me. Again, that must be rejected immediately because his promises don't arbitrarily work for some while not working for others. God's word and all his promises are true and will work for all people because it's based on his holiness, not on your ability to apply them or to appropriate him. There could be multiple reasons why you find yourself in a situation with those thoughts, but whatever you do, do not reject or harden your heart to God's word. Look in Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews chapter number 3. And in verse number 7 we read, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice. Friend, you're hearing God's voice this morning through the word of God. And if you're hearing that, that conviction or that impression upon your heart this morning, notice the counsel of verse 8 says, Harden not your hearts. Harden not your heart. Verse 12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Take take heed, friends. Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. We say, but I already believe in God. Well, that's a good starting point. The next, uh, the next book over, James, in James chapter 2 and verse 19, we read, Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. Notice this. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils also believe there is a God. Just believing there is a God, it's a good starting point, but it's not enough. If you're not saved this morning, you're in a state of unbelief. And if you reject God's word, then in your unbelief, you're then in your unbelief, you're rejecting God's salvation. Because actually the next book over in 1 Peter chapter number 3, in verse 23, we read, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by what? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Look in Luke chapter 8, Luke 8. In the parable of the sower of the seed, the parable of the sower, the sower sows seed among four different types of soils, by the wayside, by the, ro the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and what is called the good ground. Uh, and even in this passage, again, we are told that the seed is the word of God. And these four types of soils represent the condition of the heart and how ready they are to receive that seed, the word of God. How ready they are to hear the word of God. And the seed was sown among all four types of heart conditions, but only one received the word of God and brought forth fruit. In Luke chapter 8 and in verse number 15, we read, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart 
having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. What do the good ground people do with the word of God when they hear it? What? They keep it. The, the word keep, it means to hold on to, it means to possess, to retain. They're not rejecting God's word, are they? They're embracing it. Have you ever wondered why when lost people hear the gospel message, why some people respond and some people don't? Well, in Hebrews 4.2, we read, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, those who are open and receptive to God's word, the word generates faith. But the proud, self-centered person who rejects God's word makes their heart even harder. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And if you're not saved this morning, it's my prayer that the light of God's word will melt your heart that will lead into salvation. Back in chapter number 7 of 2 Kings, we see deliverance disclosed, deliverance dismissed. Thirdly, we see deliverance discovered. Deliverance discovered. In verse number 3, we read, and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? So our scene now shifts to where these four leprous men are sitting outside the city where they beg for food, unable to enter the city because of their condition of being a leper. And at some point during this siege, uh, no one in the city uh, provided food for them. In verse 4, they, they say, if we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Now, although they knew that they might be killed, they also knew that they would be starving to death if they stayed put. So in desperation, in their desperate situation, they made a decision to go unto the camp of the Syrians and appeal for mercy. In verse 5, we read, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. When they arrived at the Syrian camp, they discovered that the camp was intact but surprisingly, it was abandoned. The camp with all the food and goods were there, but the Syrians were nowhere to be seen. Well, what happened? Well, God tells us in verse 6, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians. To come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. So the Lord had caused the Syrians to hear a sound which they interpreted as the coming of this vast army. They left their camp as it was and fled in the twilight. About, um, they fled roughly 20 to 25 miles to the Jordan River scattering their possessions as they went. 
It says here at the end of verse 7 that they fled for their life. The thought of imminent death was so close that they left behind even their horses. Notice their horses and their asses. Uh, Would they not have made for a quick getaway? But they were so overcome with fear, so paralyzed with fear, they thought death was so close that they just abandoned everything and ran for their life. Now, when you picture this in your mind, it, it, it borders on a comedy, right? Here in the twilight, in verse 5, those four leprous men, says in, in the twilight, they, they come under the, the camp of the Syrians, right? As they're coming in at the front door, the Syrians were escaping out the back door. These four harmless lepers. <clears throat> but in all seriousness, no, most of us have heard testimonies of tragedies where mere seconds determined whether a person lived or died. Uh, the tsunami that you saw in the video this morning, I mentioned a little bit about it. That tsunami in 2004 that hit southern Thailand that killed thousands of people. Uh, our family, our, my wife and I, we, we know people. We have talked to people who have survived that tsunami. And um, as those waves hit at 30 miles an hour on that shore, many people died trying to outrun those waves and get to high ground but could not. There was no time to retrieve anything. For those people who, who saw those waves coming and went, well, I need to grab my money, I need to grab my phone, I need to grab this, I need to come and go grab some valuable possession, it sealed their fate for those who did. Those California wildfires we've been hearing about, um, travel can spread as quickly as 25 miles an hour. And some people escape for their life at that moment uh, with just the clothes on their back. But uh, for those who went back into their house to retrieve anything of value, they weren't able to escape and, and perished in those flames. The Syrian army was so stricken with the same kind of paralyzing fear, they just... They just fled for their lives. They just abandoned everything. They, they didn't even go, you know, run over here to get on their horse to get, make a, you know, to leave quicker. They just, they just left. They just fled for their life. In 2 Kings 3, God delivered the armies of Judah and Israel from the Moabites through a miracle of sight. But this time, he did it by a miracle of sound. God delivered his people in dramatic fashion, just as he promised he would. But friends, more importantly, God has made a way to deliver us all from the penalty of sin and eternal death in the lake of fire, just as he promised. You see, after God created Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden, he commanded the man, saying, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God said if they ate the fruit from that tree that they would surely die. You see, death was not a part of God's creation. Death is something new that would be introduced into God's creation if they were to disobey Him. 
And this death that God is speaking about is something much more worse than physical death. This word, the word death, by itself, it means separation. And there's three aspects to this death or this separation. If they were to disobey God, first of all, they would be separated from God in their relationship to Him. And secondly, this separation from God would lead to a physical death. You see, Adam and Eve's life, they came from God. So God, who is the giver of life, and, 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 and being then therefore separated from the source of life, would lead to physical death in the future. And thirdly, if a man dies being separated from God, he'll be separated from God for all eternity in the lake of fire. Friends, God did not create death. But death, like sin, came into our world as a result of man's sin and disobedience. However, the good news is that although we are born into this world sinners, separated from God, He provided a way for all men to come into a right relationship with Him. The gospel is a wonderful story. Jesus, He he paid our sin and then conquered death by rising from the dead on the third day. And in rising again, he's now able to give eternal life to all that come unto him in, in repentance and faith and believing on him with all their heart. And friends, that is the greatest deliverance possible. There's, there, there is no other way to be saved. Well, we see... Deliverance disclosed, deliverance dismissed, deliverance discovered. Fourthly, we see deliverance declared. Deliverance declared. In verse number six, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number eight, we read, and when, the, and when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came... Uh, and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. So coming unto the deserted camp, the four lepers did what any hungry men would have done. They ate to the full and, and then began a systematic plundering of the Syrian camp tent by tent. Verse 9 we read, Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, and that we may go and tell the king's household. Their conscience was soon pricked, and they realized how selfish and greedy they were acting. This was a day of good news, and yet they were silent. Friends, the application is crystal clear. We must take heed to the sin of silence. We must not become so preoccupied with our lives that we neglect sharing the gospel with other people. After all, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So these lepers decided they're going to share their discovery, this good news with, of God's wonderful deliverance with those inside the city. In verse 10, So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there. Neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied in the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. The lepers, this good news, eventually reached the ears of the king. In verse 12, And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. 
They know that we be hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we will catch them alive and get, the, and get into the city. You see, the king thought it was a trick, right, to draw people out of the city so that they could move in and take the cities, maybe something similar to how Joshua defeated Ai in Joshua chapter 8. In verse 13, we read, And one of the servants answered and said, Let us take, uh, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. And they took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and, lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told it to the king. So scouts were sent out to locate the Syrian army, and they followed the trail of discarded clothing and equipment as far as the Jordan River, some 20, 25 miles from Samaria. Uh, the, the scouting party, they rushed back to the city and shared the good news that indeed the Syrian army was gone and their camp was just waiting to be plundered. Now, it wasn't so much that the king doubted the words of the lepers as much as he rejected the word of God at the mouth of Elisha. You see, had he believed the word of the Lord, he would have accepted the good news from the lepers. And in like manner, we have the word of God that declares the good news of the gospel. And if there is a person who rejects God's word, then they reject the gospel. And there's no hope for them. And there's Because there is no other way to get to heaven but through the gospel. Now, we don't know the names of those that God used to proclaim this good news of God's deliverance. You, you have the, the four lepers unnamed. Uh, you have the city porter in verse number 10 unnamed. In verse 11, you had the members of the king's household who told the king, unnamed. And uh, in verse 13, one of his servants answered, the, the one who talked the king into sending out a scouting party, also unnamed. They were all unnamed. And the application is clear, that God uses ordinary people to spread the good news, to spread the gospel. It is the message. It's not the messenger that is important. Just because God considers, or just because maybe you consider yourself to be just an ordinary person or inadequate does not mean you're excused from the responsibility of sharing the gospel. Well, we've seen deliverance disclosed, deliverance dismissed, deliverance discovered, and deliverance declared. And finally and quickly, we see deliverance displayed. In verse number 16, and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Upon hearing the good news, the people, they, they rushed out to secure the food and claim the plunder. This can be a picture maybe of people hearing the gospel and, and laying claim to salvation from their sin that's found in Jesus Christ. See, friends, God, God has the power to deliver us from any circumstance or crisis we face. He delivered the Syrians from an impossible situation from a human perspective. And God will deliver us from whatever confronts us. When our resources are low and our doubts are the strongest, remember 
that God can open the floodgates of heaven. The word of God was fulfilled exactly as Elisha predicted. But what about that cynical skeptic? Well, it came true for him as well, didn't it? And verse 17, And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now, behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. Because of our soft, tolerant culture, many people do not like to hear that God judges those who reject him. In fact, churches all across this land and this city preach only the love of God but ignore his holiness, his justice, and his wrath. Page forward to the last book of the Bible, almost to the very end in Revelation chapter 20. We are just about done here. Revelation chapter 20 and in verse 11. John writes, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And notice verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. For those who are not saved, if they do not respond to the gospel and repentance and faith, will be judged, found guilty, and will spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Now, many people think that, uh, well, being a good person is going to help them to get to heaven. But friend, no one can get to heaven by being a good person. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not one person who is naturally righteous in God's sight. No one will get to heaven by being a good person. Others think, well, if they're religious, they go to church, they be baptized, obey the Ten Commandments, they, that God will let them into heaven. Jesus says there's nothing you can do to earn or work your way into heaven. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one can get to heaven by being religious. In order to experience the greatest deliverance possible, the the deliverance from the penalty of sin, you must realize that you are a hell-deserving sinner, and in repentance turn from your sin and trust Christ with all your heart and receive Him as your Savior. That is God's plan to deliver you from sin and bring you into a right relationship with Him. There is simply just no other way to get to heaven. Even though the northern kingdom had rejected God for roughly 90 years, though undeserved, God delivered them and gave them another chance, another opportunity to repent and turn to Him. But many years later, when God decided He had given them enough time to repent, He allowed the northern kingdom to be destroyed. In 
Friend, if you're not saved today, God has graciously given you another chance to repent and turn to Him. But like that northern kingdom, one day His offer of grace and mercy will run out. And I implore you to turn to Him before it is eternally too late.